Well, good morning. Whether you're joining us online or in person, we're glad to have you to worship with us. If you're with us in person, please remember to stay as distanced as possible and wear your face covering at all time while you're on the campus. We do this out of an abundance of caution to care for our congregation as we meet together and with the Lord. Let's stand and sing together.
please remain standing for the reading of the word of God. The reading for today is from John 1, sorry, 1 John 5 through 1 through 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning, Redemption Arcadia. So glad you're here today. Thank you for making the time. These masks sometimes uh, aren't convenient for public speaking, so I'm going to take that off for now, if, that, if that's okay. Thanks for being here. Frank's uh, at camp for one more Sunday, and uh, he will be back next Sunday to start off the Gospel of John, which is exciting. All of the Redemption congregations will be starting in the Gospel of John next Sunday. Uh, Just a little bit about redemption. We are one church in nine congregations uh, spread out throughout the state of Arizona. We are uh, gospel-centered and and outward-focused, and we believe that all of life is all for Jesus. And so we're thankful that you're uh, tuning in today online or whether you're here in person. uh, We appreciate that you are here. Those of you that are tuning in online, um, I believe that you exist because there is evidence that you exist And so thank you for tuning in as well. I have faith that you do exist. And for those of you that are here, uh, it's nice to be in person in the same room. I'm just realizing how much uh, I took for granted the ability to gather as the church. And so just thank you so much for being here. We appreciate you being here. Uh, We are going to, my name's Tyler. I'm uh, one of the pastors here. I'm the pastor of church formation and worship and excited to be able to share at the end of 1 John chapter 5 today. We're going to wrap up this book today in chapter 5, and I said last week um, that this last week was sort of the crescendo and the climax of the symphony that John has been writing, and that this week is sort of like the coda and ending, and so I was saying that it was kind of like, happy birthday to you, and that's true, except for it's more like, it's more like the Italian version of that, which is, tanti auguri a te. That's more the version that we have here today in chapter 5 because it's a little bit more emphatic and it's a little bit more of a summary of what we had in the whole book of 1 John and uh, not just, not just of some new information, although it is that, it's also sort of a summary statement of what we've been saying throughout the book of 1 John. So before we jump into the text, uh, I brought with me my, my trusty box and, and uh, Zach Tullis was saying, what's in the box? What's in the box? Uh, he will find out soon and so will all of you. But I need a volunteer 
some help from the congregation. One person, anybody interested in helping out today? Yes, anybody? I see your hands up there. All right, back there, yeah, okay. Uh, Caroline, yes, yes, thank you so much for coming. Appreciate you. <laughs> yes. Okay. So this is Caroline. Does everybody know Caroline, right? I'm saying, I, I, know, I know who you are. I can see the mask. I'll put my mask back on just while you're here so we don't make sure, make sure don't, don't get you sick. Okay. Caroline, here we have a locked box. And in a lock, you have a locked box. The purpose of a locked box is so that you can keep something valuable inside. And there is inside this locked box a gift for you. It's a free gift, but you have to have the key to open the locked box. Makes sense, right? And there is on this keychain a key that opens up the locked box. Okay? So what I'm going to ask you to do is blindly, blindly grab one of these keys and my hope. So close your eyes. Close your eyes. Don't cheat. Grab one of these keys. All right, very cool. So you've got a key there. Now, Caroline, how confident are you that that key is going to open up that lock? Uh, one out of 35. <laughs> one out of 35. So Caroline is one out of 35 confident that this is going to open up. So do you want to give it, well, before you do that, if you were more confident, like if you really got more confident, then would that key for sure be the key that would open up that lock? No. No, no. So it's not based on your confidence or your level of confidence. It's, what's it based on? Um, it's based on the fact that there are a lot of keys on here and the chances that I grab the right one are very slim. So it has to be the right key. So it has to be the right key, right? Your confidence isn't actually what makes it the right key. Well, let's give it a try. Let's see. All right, everybody, Caroline, let's going to give it a shot. No, unfortunately, that's not the right key. And no matter how she tries to put it in, it's just not going to work out, right? Okay, so now, Caroline, one more step here. Now I'd like for you to look through the keys and see a little bit and see if you can find the right key. We gotta hurry, Caroline. We gotta hurry. All right, give it a shot. Give it a shot. Nope, not that one either, huh? So, why did you choose that one? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Okay, maybe maybe just seemed like it was a good-looking key. You like silver keys? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Cool. Now let's try again. So we find that Caroline, even uh, with her eyes closed, she couldn't just randomly select the right key. Uh, even when she was looking through to find the right key, she had a hard time with it. What if I told you, Caroline, that I know which key opens the box? I would ask you to probably give me a hint or something. Right, okay. So I, I have seen, I've actually seen which key opens this box with my own eyes. I've seen it happen. I know, I know that there's a, a key in here. I know which one it is. I know what it looks like. I know how it functions. And I'm going to tell Caroline which one that is so that she can open the box. Does that sound like a good deal? If I had information like that, would you be interested in that information? Yeah. Yeah, me too. Me too. I've mentioned that as well. Because there's a free gift inside, yeah. right? Okay, so there's a key on here that is 
surrounded by green or it has green on it. It has green on it. There's a sticker that has a green, that's a green sticker on this key. It's a smaller key. It's a smaller key. Now let's see, do you think that's the one? Okay, let's see if that one works. Hooray! Caroline has opened the box, yes. So I'll take these back. Caroline has opened the box. She receives a free Arcadia Redemption Church t-shirt. There, there we are. Thank you, Caroline. Have a, appreciate you. Okay. I'm really glad that she got that open because my Bible's in here too. So we're going to use that now. <laughs> Thanks to Caroline for that. Uh, so as you can see... Whether or not we're able to open a box or whether or not we're able to open a box has to do with the right key to open the box. And no amount of hoping that a wrong key is the right key will serve to open the box. It's because the key that opens the box is the right key whether I want it to be or not. It's the right, it's the right key for the box whether or not I have a lot of hope in it or I have no hope or a little bit of hope. Just because I hope that a key is the right key doesn't make it the key. You get the idea, right? Today we are talking about confidence. Confidence that we have in our Savior. Confidence that we have in our salvation. Confidence that we have in those people that are a part of the body of Christ that they can know that they are saved and that this is how we, how we know that we are saved. So we're going to open up 1 John chapter 5. You can open your Bibles if you have them. 1 John chapter 5. I'll give you a second to turn there. First John chapter 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Pause for a moment. I like this opening to chapter 5 so much because John gives us a little bit of an overview of what's been happening in the book of 1 John all along. John is talking about how do we know the people of God from those who are not the people of God. And remember, John has uh, a name for that. He says those are, the, those are children of the devil or children of, of wrath. Unfortunately, uh, for, for those who are not in Christ, John presents a binary view of the gospel, a binary view of truth, a binary view of humanity itself, which is that there are those who are part of the family of God and that those that are not. Now, our world doesn't like binaries, as we've said last week, but John is presenting a view that says we are in God, we are children of God, or we are children of wrath or children of the devil. What John wants us to know is that there are a few ways of seeing whether or not we are children of God. Uh, Mark Dever, who is um, a, a, an, a commentator and an author and, and is on a website called Nine Marks, uh, Mark Dever has summarized the book of 1 John in saying that there are three tests that we can put forward to view whether a person is a child of God or not. And the three tests that Mark Dever presents uh, are that one... Do you believe that, the, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? 
In other words, do you believe that Jesus is fully divine, fully human, and has come from the Father? Two, second test is, do you obey the commands of God? And three, do you love the people of God? Mark, Mark Dever points out that John in these opening chapters here, in this opening uh, verses of chapter 5, is actually including those three tests for us. Read it again. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. There's the first test. That if we believe that Jesus is the Christ and his Son of God, we've been born by him. Two, in verse 2, by this we know that we uh, love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. There's the other two tests. If we believe in God, do we do what he asks of us? Now, he's not saying, John is not saying that this is how we are saved, but he is saying that these are evidence or tests of faith, that we might expect these things to be true if we are children of God, that we would believe that he's the son of God, we, believe, we, we obey his commandments, and that we love the children of God. We know that faith is based on the work of Christ alone and through faith alone. And so we, want, we don't want to add anything to that, like such as doing the right things or such as loving somebody else. But John is pointing out to us in these opening chapters that clear evidence of the faith would be these three tests that you might see. That would be the, the clear evidence. Now, it turns out that the word confidence, uh, both in, in Latin and, and the Greek that is written here, that confidence mean, means with, with faith. It means confide, with faith. Uh, it, the Greek word actually has the connotation of saying that there is clear evidence for truth. In other words, that we, faith is not something that we just hope for or wish for. We, we're not promoting a blind faith that says, oh, I just really hope this key is the right key to the lock. Instead, we're promoting a faith that is based on evidence that has been given, John in the Gospel of John, which we'll begin to see next week, is, is saying that he is a clear testimony to the evidence that is there. He's saying that I've seen with my own eyes, uh, we've seen the word in flesh, we've done life with him, we've eaten with him, we've walked with him, we've seen the miracles. John is presenting himself as a clear witness to the evidence that's being presented. And so he says, you must be born again of God in order to be a child of God. Now that phrase, born again, can be somewhat complicated for, for people. In fact, it was compli complicated for Nicodemus. If you guys remember the story of Nicodemus in John chapter 3. I'll just flip over there for a moment. I won't, and you can turn there as well if you'd like. John chapter 3. And we'll cover this when we get to the gospel of John. So I don't want to spend too much time. But in John chapter 3, Nicodemus comes to Jesus. It says this, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things, these signs that you do, unless God is with him. And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. 
Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. For the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And it goes on here. Uh, skip down to verse 11. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know, Jesus is saying, and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If, you, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? You see some of the crossover here. Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, you must be born again of God. And Nicodemus is saying, how can I be born again? To the, to the, to the mind of the earthly uh, man, this kind of message is foolishness. And Nicodemus responds with that kind of, that kind of um, questioning of the message. How are you saying that I can be born again? And Jesus is talking, of course, spiritually. And he says to him, you must be born of the Spirit of God. And he mentions water and blood, and we'll see that in our First John passage again in a couple of minutes. The idea that Jesus is presenting is that we must be born again to be a part of his kingdom and that we are born again based on the evidence that is there. Even Jesus was saying, you do not believe our testimony. Even Jesus was giving a testimony here of clear evidence. So John is presenting something that is clear evidence, not just wishful thinking, not just fantasy, not just hoping that something ends up being true, but a message based on evidence and fact. Hebrews says it this way. In Hebrews chapter 11, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things unseen. In other words, Hebrews is saying it's not just wishful thinking. Instead, we, it is the assurance that we have of the things that we are hoping for. That this assurance has already been given to us. I love that we sang Blessed Assurance this morning. Thanks to Malia and Emily for leading the singing. That we have that assurance in the Lord and that we hope for it based on the assurance that we have. Or the conviction, and some translations say, or the evidence of things unseen. Now, some people hear that and they say, that's ridiculous. If you can't see it, there's no evidence that it exists. Well, of course, there's all kinds of things that we believe without seeing it with our eyes. We believe that the wind is there because we see the way the wind impacts the world. And that's, that's, it's interesting that Jesus actually uses the, the uh, example of the wind there. You believe that the wind exists because you see the evidence of it all around, even if you don't see the wind itself with your eyes. Similarly, we believe all kinds of things in our lives work, even though we don't know for sure that that's going to happen for us every time. Like, we sit in chairs that we believe are going to hold us up. How many of you came into the room this morning and you, che you checked your chair before you sat in it? Made sure, that it, made sure that it worked for sure, looked at the uh, craftsmanship, inspected it. Some of you might have done that to make sure it was clean. <laughs> we, don't, we don't necessarily do that with our chairs because there's evidence that the chairs are going to work just the way that they, that they are. Why? Because we've sat in them before, or somebody else is already sitting in them, or because we know that when they make chairs, they make them to hold up our weight. There's evidence for believing that the chair will hold you up. It's the same thing with Christ. John is saying that there is evidence for believing that this gospel message through Jesus Christ is true. He says that he saw with his own eyes this Christ who was born, who lived and walked a perfect life, who did many signs and wonders and miracles, who went to the cross, died on our behalf, 
and the empty tomb on Sunday. In fact, John was the fastest one of the disciples to sprint to the tomb. He makes sure to say so in his Gospel of John. I don't know why that's important. I guess he wanted people to know he was faster than Peter. But he sprinted to the tomb to see that it was empty. And it, in fact, was. John is presenting himself as someone who is giving this, this, this testimony and that it's something that we ought to accept as, with confidence because of the clear evidence that he's presenting. Look at verse 4. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? I love this, this clear message from John that says the only way that we will overcome the world is through this Jesus Christ and the faith that we have in him. Now that's good news for all of us that look around and see a world that is just crazy right now. Any of you experiencing a normal life? <laughs> yeah, a few of you, that's good. <laughs> Henry, you guys can talk to Henry afterwards because he's experiencing a normal life. He's got, he'll, he'll let you know how to do it. For the rest of us, the, we look around the world and things are upside down and things are difficult. People are combative with one another. There's all kinds of philosophies and teachings that run contrary to what's going on in the scripture. When we look around our world, we're, we're a world that clearly is in trouble. And John is giving us hope of the clear evidence that Jesus Christ is the one who's able to overcome this world. And he's saying that our faith is what overcomes the world. Now, in Revelation, it says something like that. It says uh, the testimony and the blood of the lamb is what overcomes. We, we will overcome by the testimony and the blood of the lamb. Now that testimony, that word testimony, is similar to what's going on in 1 John here. That God himself has given us clear evidence of his victory that we are to consider as we're making a judgment about the reality of the world. John says that it's only our faith that will overcome, and that faith in Jesus Christ. Remember, what I have faith in is the most important thing, not the amount of faith that I have. The faith is only as good as the object of what it's in. I can have all the faith in the world that that key is the right key, but if it's not the right key, my faith is useless. And so argues the Bible is that I can have, you know, you hear people say these days, just have faith. Just have faith. Well, faith in what? What do you want me to have faith in? Because what I have faith in is going to make all the difference in the world. We need rightly ordered confidences. Yes, it's good to have confidence in some things, but God wants the confidence that we have in him to be at the top of our list and not, placed, not misplaced by anything else. Going on, John is going to give further evidence. Not only does he say that confidence is based on clear evidence, he's saying that testimony agrees with this clear evidence. So he's going to say that testimony is bearing witness of clear evidence. Look at verse, uh, verse 6 of chapter 5, verse 6. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. Now, there's a few things going on here. John is indicating that we don't just believe based on, on, on our, our, faith, our hope or our wishful thinking, but we base on, on the clear evidence. And now he's saying that there are a few things that testify to this clear clear evidence. Have any of you ever asked to be, uh, be a test, uh, to testify in any kind of legal case? Yeah, 
the lawyer in the room is raising his hand. That's good. I'm glad that he's, he's had the experience doing that. And if you ever have to do that, you can talk to, talk to him afterwards. When you're, when you're asked to testify in a case, you're asked to bear witness to something that you have information about. That you're asked to bear, inf- uh, bear witness about the evidence that you've seen in something. What John is about to say here is that there are three witnesses that testify to the truth of what, we, what we're saying about Jesus Christ. Three. He says that there's the water, there's the blood, and there's the spirit. Now this can be a little bit confusing at first, so I just want to spend a, a, a minute here to explain what's going on. In verse 6, John says that Jesus has come by the water, not only the water, but the water and the blood. Now many of you probably recognize off, right off the bat that, that that is referring to, the water and the blood are referring to repentance, and forgiveness. The water and the blood are referring to baptism and blood atonement. That Jesus was coming not only as one who was going to be baptized. Remember, he was baptized by John the Baptist. And we'll see that when we get to the Gospel of John as well. That Jesus was baptized and, and, and symbolizing this repentance and the cleansing. But, but that was not the only thing he came for. He came for the, the water and the blood. The blood was the atonement for sin. The Bible says that without the shedding of blood, in Hebrews 9, uh, verse 22, that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. In other words, what John is saying here is that Jesus came as one who would offer repentance and forgiveness to the world. Now that's clear when you, when you hear the message that Jesus is preaching. As soon as he arrives, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is, on, is, is at hand. So Jesus comes as one who is, is coming by water and by blood. And then John says, the spirit is the truth. That the spirit is the one who agrees and testifies as well. In other words, God is going to give us truth by his spirit. That the spirit himself will testify of this clear evidence that God has. So there are three testimonies that John says. Not only has he presented him his own eyes as, as a witness, he's saying there are also three testimonies that we look at. Verse 7, For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself, and whoever does not believe in God has made him a liar." because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life, and whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. Again, that consistent theme, if, you're in, if you are in the son of God, you have life. If you're not in the son of God, you do not have life. And John is saying that these testimonies are giving us evidence of the truth of what is being said. Now, there's another phrase in here that I just wanted to point out. It says, whoever does not believe God has made him a liar. Of course, we know Titus 1 says that God cannot lie. Romans 3 says that though everybody else be a liar, may God be the truth. In other words, we know God cannot lie, but John is saying that if we do not believe the gospel message, that we are calling God a liar. If we do not believe the things that Jesus has come to say and do and who he was, then we are calling God a liar. 
This is what gets in the way of the idea of Jesus just being a good teacher. Jesus didn't claim just to be a good teacher. When Nicodemus came to Jesus, he said, Teacher, tell me about this. He wasn't addressing Jesus as the Savior of the world. And what Jesus says back to Nicodemus is, You must receive this testimony to be born again. So Jesus doesn't leave the option of being just a good teacher. Instead, he is either the Savior of the world, the Son of God, or he is a deceiver, that we have made him a liar, says John. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be the one that's caught calling God a liar. So there's testimony of this clear witness that we have of what John is saying. And remember that John himself saw these things. So after presenting that we believe in, in clear evidence and that there's testimonies that agree with these things, John is now saying there are 10 things that we can know for sure. 10 things that we can know for sure. If you are looking for truth in this world, and if you're getting messages left and right through Apple News and Twitter and Facebook and CNN and Fox News and all these things that were collecting news. I was, I was personally very touched when Tyler James said in this series that we need to spend more time reading our Bibles than our news feed. <laughs> That's convicting. Because we're going to get all kinds of different messages from the world. But what John wants us to know is that there are 10 things that we can know for sure that are just in this passage alone. First, he says that we can know that we have eternal life. I've met many people who, who are wondering if they can know that they are saved. John certainly believed so. In fact, he's writing these things so that we might know that we have eternal life. That the cross and the resurrection were real things that happened in history at a real time and place. And that our faith is based on the evidence of those things. Second, John says that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. In verse 14 and verse 15, that if he hears us, we have the request that we have asked. Now, I have to stop for a moment and just give a little bit of explanation with this passage because some people have taken this to mean that if I'm, if I'm praying and, and, I, and I invoke the will of God, that anything I ask for is going to be granted. So I just want you guys to know that I've been praying for my Porsche and I'm going to have a new Porsche because I know God hears me and because if he hears me, I know he, re, he grants the request that I ask for. We've taken this verse to mean all kinds of things that's not intended, which is that if we just, ask, if we just treat God like our, our Santa Claus, our cosmic Santa Claus, that he'll grant us the request that we ask for. But that's not what John has in mind. Instead, John has in mind that if we are conformed to his will and that we are praying the things that are of his will, that he will hear the prayer and that those things will be accomplished. In other words, part of prayer is for us to be changed, not for us to come to the Lord with all of our laundry list of things that we hope that he's going to do for us. But part of the, the process of prayer is for us to be transformed into the image of God. As Romans 8.29 says, that we are conformed to his image, that we come to the Lord in prayer asking for us to be aligned with his will. It's a good idea for us when we are praying to actually pause for a moment and ask the Lord to help us to understand his will and to be conformed to his will and ask things out of his will so that we're in a line with him. Look, if you pray for things that are the will of God, it will happen every time. By definition, that's how it works. So I want to pray for the things that are of the will of God. 
That way when I pray, the things for sure happen. I don't want to pray for the things that are the will of Tyler. Not even Tyler James, and he's pretty awesome. I want to pray for the things that are of the will of God, that these things would come forth, that God would accomplish his purposes on the world. Frank, says it, Frank Switzer, our lead pastor, says it this way. He says, uh, we get upset because God didn't answer our prayer. And so we say, God didn't answer our prayer, dot, 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 the way that I wanted him to. Sounds like Frank, doesn't it? Instead, we want to ask the Lord for his will to be done And then we know in confidence that he hears us and that he's always working and that these things will be accomplished in the will of the Lord. Going on, number four, he says that everyone born of God does not keep on sinning. Now, this one's tricky, and I know we're flying through these texts because we got to get to the Gospel of John next week. Everyone born of God does not keep on sinning. Now, this one has also tripped some people up thinking that if you have the Spirit of God in you and you have been born again of God, that you can live the rest of your life without sin. Have anybody ever heard that preached or taught? Yeah. There's some movements that are saying that if you have God's Spirit in you, if you've been born again of Jesus, if you've been saved, that you can actually go the whole rest of your life without ever committing another sin. Friends, And I say this in all sincerity and as a pastor and as one who loves God and wants to obey his commandments and loves people, I'm not sure that I will go the rest of the day without committing a sin. Unfortunately, we are still fallen people who are broken and have broken patterns and live in a broken world. And there are things that we do that are displeasing to God. Anything that we do that misses the mark is a a sin. It doesn't have to be one of the big ones, lies, murder, theft. It can actually be a simple thing that we just don't align ourselves with the will of God. Anytime we know what the will of God is and then we do something else, that's sin. And so the Lord is asking us actually to be a people that look at our sin seriously. In other words, God is not going to let, he loves you too much to let you go on sinning. The Greek word that is there it doesn't intend to say that we will never commit another sin, but the Greek word there has the connotation that we will no longer live in a pattern of a sinful life. And God loves you too much to let that pattern go on. Now I have to pause for just a moment to say this. Though we might not though we cannot live the rest of our life without sin, we can live in power and victory over sin. And that's part of what John is saying here, is that some of us are pretty comfortable with our little pet sins that we like to keep in a corner, that we like to keep hidden, that we like to actually have on the side, that we just sort of hope that nobody will ever see or address. What John is saying is that as a believer in Christ, God's not going to let you do that. He's going to address those things one way or another. And the the beauty of God's love is that as we open ourselves up to him and these patterns of sin and the things that we actually participate in, it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. It's his love that causes this change in our lives. We run to the Father because you've ever heard the analogy? Oh no, I'm in so much trouble. I just got in a car accident. Don't tell my dad he's going to be really upset. Or, 
oh no, I just got in a car accident. Let me call my dad. He'll know what to do. God intends for us to have this second mindset. That if we are in Christ, we run to the Father with our sin. Acknowledging that he's the one who knows what to do with it. And so John says that no one who is in Christ will keep on sinning. But he who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. One other thing in this passage is this, is this idea that there's a sin that leads to death, and there's a sin that doesn't lead to death. And you guys can explore that later on, but I just want to mention a couple of things. Romans 6 makes it clear that the wages of sin are death. That any sin that we commit, the smallest one. And, and by the way, God doesn't really view it that way. The big ones and the small one. But the smallest one that we commit. The wages of sin is death. That's what the Bible teaches in Romans 6, chapter 20, or verse 23. And so anything that we do is going to result in death and brokenness. But what John's pointing out here is that there is a sin that, that ultimately leads to death, and that is the sin of unbelief. You can look at, at 1 John chapter 1 that Tyler James covered earlier in this series. And if you didn't hear it, if you didn't hear any of the sermons in this series, I, I, I recommend going back. It was, a, it was a good series for us. But, but John is saying here in, in 1 John 1, and we can also look at Paul in 1, Ephesians 1, that there's a sin that leads to death, and that is the sin of unbelief. That sin is the, is the quote-unquote unforgivable sin. You've heard of the unforgivable sin? Frank also mentioned this in this series. But that John encourages us to pray for the sin, the other kinds of sin that there are out there, the little pet sins that we have hidden away, the ones that we don't want anybody to know about, the ones that we keep locked away in hopes that nobody will see it. John is recommending that the believer open up our lives so that Jesus can deal with these sins. Yes, he has forgiven us for every sin that we've done yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And he hopes that we, and he, and he commands that we not keep on living in those sin. One last thing about verse 18. The evil one does not touch him. This idea here is that, that there is an eternal security for the believer, that we are marked and sealed. If you are in Christ, you can know for sure that you are saved and that, that, that no one will be able to take you out of his hand. Yes, it's true. I mean, just look at the book of Job. It's true that the evil one can come in, that the devil can come in and can attack and can accuse. Remember, the devil comes to steal, still kill, kill and destroy. But what John is saying is that if you were in Christ, there is confidence for your future. There is confidence for your eternity. I think that also helps the believer in a time like right now when things are so uncertain. If I hear anybody say, during these uncertain times, one more time, I might lose it. Even in the midst of uncertain times, the Christian can have certainty in the knowledge and the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Knowing that that belief in him and being born again makes it so that there is not anybody that can touch the believer. I already quoted Romans 8, but now I'll sing it to you. It goes like this. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God 
which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. God has intended it so that his love would seal us away for eternity. And that there's not any of those things that can get in the way of that. Not even me. Not even me. Because he loves me too much to let that happen. Now the indication there in verse 29, right after what I just sang, is that we will be conformed into the image of the Son. In other words, God also lives, loves us too much to keep us the way that we are. He loves us just like we are, but he loves us too much to keep us that way. C.S. Lewis says it this way, What father wouldn't be proud with the first steps of the child just walking for the first time? But then what, what father would let the child keep on crawling or, or stumbling like that? Dallas has started running around, and I love it. And I'm so proud of him for every little thing that he does, including when he shouts, Amen! I love it. But I want him to learn some more words. And I want him to be able to start walking a little bit more stable. I want him to grow up. This is the love that God has for us as well as the Father. He intends to love us just the way that we are, but he loves us so much that he doesn't want us to stay that way. All right, we're still on our list here. Everyone born of God does not keep on sinning. Number five, we are from God. We know that if we have belief in God, that we have come from him, and that the message that we are speaking is from him, John has in mind. Number, seven, number six, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Now, this one, this one is so hard for us to accept, but it's true. I, I, know, I know people who say, I just don't understand what's going on in the world today. Well, the Bible teaches us that it's going to be this way. Jesus himself said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. So we shouldn't be surprised when we see things that go on outside, especially outside of the church. Those who do not, do not, do not know God are going to act like those who do not know God. And we shouldn't be surprised by that. For the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. But though it looks like the evil one has overcome Christ, take heart because Christ has overcome the world. We also know that the Son of God has come. We know that the Son of God has given us understanding. We know that Christ is the truth and the eternal life. And we know that Christ, that we, we know Christ and we are in Christ. In other words, as Frank recently said at Alongside Ministries, we know that Christ has victory over sin, Satan, and death. And that because Christ has it, we have it as well. Victory over sin, Satan, and death. So though it looks like the world is is disheveled, know that we have certainty in Christ. Though it looks like maybe evil is winning, know that Christ has already won on the cross. It's why he said it is finished. John intends for us to know these things and that there's evidence for us knowing these things. And so we have come to the last verse of 1 John. It's 1 John 5, 21, and you'd expect after this whole book, he's calling us beloved, he's giving us instructions on how to know that we're saved, how to know that people, people are born of God, and then you'd expect at the end of this that he'd say, and I love you so much, and I can't wait until I send you the next letter, Look, keep your eyes open for 2 John, it's coming soon, but that's not what he says, he says what? Little children, keep yourself from idols, <laughs> and that's it, it's sort of like the... Uh, Ultimate Debbie Downer of the Bible. <laughs> hey, God loves you so much. Little children, keep yourself from idols. See ya. Some people have read this and have thought, this is way out of, way out of left field. What does anything of this have to do with idols? 
And the connection, I believe, is this. First, John calls us little children, which means that we still have work to do. You know that we need a message when he, when he calls us little children. He calls us beloved when he wants us to know that we're secure as our, in our status of Christ and our identity in Christ. He calls us little children when he's got a message for us that we still need to work out. So he said, little children, keep yourself from idols. And we were talking about this in our preaching collective as we're getting ready for this series, talking about this connection between idols and the rest of the book. And the idea here is that part of what keeps us from confidence in Christ is that we place our confidence instead in other things. We have other things that we want to build our trust on, build our faith on, build our confidence on. Sometimes it's money, sometimes it's relationships, sometimes it's position or power, sometimes it's health, sometimes it's status. We have other things that we want to put our confidence on. And look, many of these things are very good things. I have confidence in my family members. I have confidence in my friends. I have confidence in you all as the church body. But what John's getting at here is that we oftentimes elevate these confidences and place them above the confidence that we have in Christ. In other words, we think that it's more reliable that these other things will take care of us than it is that Jesus will. And if you're willing and honest to search your heart in this, we know this to be true. That we have a faith that we sometimes view as fire insurance, that, that I've said the prayer, I believe in Jesus, we've gone through the door, we've opened the lock. But oftentimes, even as we do that, we know that this is, this is the key that opens a lock and this is what we place our confidence in. But we take a look at the other keys that are out there and we think, well, this one's more shiny. I like how this one looks. It's a little bit better. This one's a little more colorful. I like blue better than green. There's a lot of keys over here. Maybe if I just try to use all of them, I'll be secure. This is oftentimes what we do with our faith. Though we have faith in the Lord, we've looked around at the things around us and we've said, we need a little bit of extra insurance. Because of how things look in this world, we need a little bit of extra insurance in our life. And so I'm going to make sure that I, that I save enough money and have a, enough money in my bank account. I'm going to make sure that I pursue that raise at work. I'm going to make sure that I have enough people around me that will help. Look, we look to all kinds of things. That political candidate that's going to get elected in November, that person will save us. If only we wear our masks enough, nobody will get sick. If only we stay distance enough, if only we take the right medicine, if only I work out five times a day, if only I eat the right foods and drink the right water, if only I stay away from drugs and alcohol. Do that, by the way. Stay away from drugs and alcohol. But we can't put our confidence in our own purity. We can't put our confidence in our own strength. We can't put our confidence in, in the things of this world that we think are going to save us because they'll let us down every time. Every time. Some of you know a bit of my story, and I won't share very much of it because we need to wrap up. But I had a period in my life just after college 
where I wanted to see what it would be like to put my confidence in some other things. And so I had a prodigal son kind of time. And if, if we want to talk about that in person or later on, we can. But I wanted to see what was out there. And at the heart of the prodigal son story is this, that, that the younger son wanted to go see what was in the world outside of the father's house. I don't have enough confidence in my father that this life that I have ahead of me is good for me. And so I'm going to go put my confidence in something else. And I had a period of my life where I experienced that. And I can tell you, the idols let me down every time. Every time. And some of you may be thinking, well, I'd like to go see for myself. And that's okay if, if you want to try that. But my heart says that I'd, I'd like to help keep you from that. That sort of like Caroline looking for the right key and, you know, Caroline could have said, hey, I believe, I, I believe that that's right, that this is the right key and you've seen it and you've told me that this is the way, but I'd like to fiddle around with these other keys for a while. It's foolishness. Instead, John is inviting us to a life that says, let's be serious about what we believe. Let's act like we mean it. And let's share this message of salvation with the world. In other words, God has come to give us life abundant. And it's there for your taking if we'll believe the clear evidence that is at hand. I invite you to explore that evidence further. Take a look. You won't be disappointed if you look for the evidence. God will reveal truth to you. But better still, ask God to give you truth. If you have not yet come to Christ, I do want to offer today an opportunity to do that. Came dangerously close to doing it last week, <laughs> but I want to do it today. So if you have not yet asked Jesus to be a part of your life, not only a part of it, but to be the central factor of your life, your Savior, your Lord, based on the evidence that he came to this earth, born, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, was, born, was raised again the third day, I'm going to say a prayer in a couple of minutes, and I'd like for you to say that prayer with me. Because now is the time to put our confidence and our trust in the Lord. And the scripture teaches that when we do so, he gives us eternal security. Confidence that this life in him will never go away. No matter what you're facing today or the things that you're going through. I'll say that prayer, and then we'll take communion together. I, I love the Bible. First John has been good, don't you think? I'm excited for the Gospel of John next week. We'll take communion after this prayer as well. And so you have little pieces of communion in your chairs. Uh, for those of you at home, this may be a good time for you to pause and go grab some communion elements so that you can take communion with us. And that we're going to invite us during this time to take communion together, acknowledging that God has made a way of salvation for us, for those who believe. I, want, I do just want to mention to you that if, if you don't believe, you, you don't have to take this community. In fact, we prefer that you don't. Because what this is, is that this is a, a, a sign of saying that I have put my faith, my confidence, my trust in Christ. I believe that he is the Son of God. I want to obey him and follow him, give him my life. And so we do this acknowledging that he did give his body and his blood 
for our salvation. That he offered as the bread a symbol of his body, broken for us. The blood, the cup a symbol of the blood that he spilled it for us. It's the blood of the new covenant. We invite you at this time, those of you who believe, to take this communion acknowledging that I have put my faith in Christ. But I want to say a prayer first for those of you that would like to, to, to give your lives to Christ. And then you take communion with us. It would be awesome. So let's pray. Lord God, we are so thankful that you have made a way of salvation for your people. God, we thank you for your word. It's, it's your, your, your word that you have revealed to us about that salvation. We thank you for John, that he was an eyewitness. Lord, we thank you that you, the Spirit testifies to the truth of all of this. And we thank you that you did give your body and your blood as atonement for our sins, that whoever believes in you might have eternal life. Lord, we, we, we want to give an opportunity right now for anybody in the room or watching that would like to do so. I'll say this prayer and I invite, invite you to do it as well. And it's not just fire insurance or it's, it's not only opening a door, but it's beginning a new life with Christ, being born again for this new life. Let's pray. Jesus, I believe that I have done things that are wrong. I have sinned against you. And I believe, the Lord, that you came, you lived a perfect life, you were born fully God, fully man, that you died on the cross for my sins, that you rose again the third day, with new life for all who believe. And Lord, I believe today that you are the Savior of the world because there's evidence that says so. So Lord, I pray that you would come into my life, that you would fill me with your spirit, that you would set me on a new path, that I would be born again in you today. And I pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So God, for anybody who's, who prayed that prayer this, this morning, I pray that you would allow for us to encourage them. I pray that you would uh, bring folks around to be able to help walk. Lord, for all the rest of us that are in this room that need the reminder that whoever, whoever is born again does not keep on sinning, pray, Lord, that you'd allow us to confess that sin and run to you, our Father. Lord, for those of us that need a reminder that you have given us this eternal security in the midst of all the craziness that we see in the world, God, give us that, that reminder that you have sealed us and marked us, set apart for your glory. And God, for Redemption Church, I pray that you would allow for us to be unified in this gospel, one faith, one spirit, one baptism, and we might walk with you as children of light and children of the day. Would you be glorified in all these things, including this communion that we take now, in the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Mm -hmm.
Amen. Our confidence does rest in his faithfulness. So thank you for, for being here today. We really appreciate you being here. And for those joining us online, uh, we, want, we do want to let you know you're able to come to this live stream. And so you're welcome. And we'll continue to wear masks and, and to socially distance so we can be, stay safe. 
if you gave your life to Christ today, I would love to talk with you. And so if you're here, I uh, would love to talk with you and encourage you. Um, and I'm also available uh, throughout the week. And so if anybody wants to get together and talk about any of these things, would love to do so. Please receive this benediction from Jude, uh, verse 24 and 25. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Please exit to the left over here, these doors. Go and live all of life, all for Jesus. Thanks for being here. Amen.